0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this week's show, we catch up with Ron Caps and Ryan Ayler to talk about the 2020 season and their success. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that Pro Stock car. It's Nitro Funny Car and Pro Stock Motorcycle Chat this week. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Brian Loans as we continue with our, I guess, first real true official off-season episode. Last week, we were still kind of feeling the feels from our season finale in Las Vegas, and now we are officially kind of cut loose from the 2020 season. And we're going to continue to have these great conversations with racers around the NHRA, outside of the NHRA, and different personalities in drag racing over the next several months uh the season of the sport is not completely over yet obviously nhra and the lucas oil drag racing series has called it quits for the year uh finishing up both series really in las vegas where we finished up the camping world drag racing series one week and then just last weekend it was the uh the stunning finish of the lucas oil drag racing series um as well so all the champions have been crowned and make sure you're paying attention to um, NHRA.com and the social media channels as we are going to be doing a series of Skype interviews with all of our Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series champions as well as many of our Camping World Drag Racing Series stars throughout the off season. I mentioned that the sport continues on, and it does. There are still uh, a few major league races yet to run around the country. I am happy to say I have a couple more events to tuck in my back pocket before I am officially calling it quits for the year, and that would be the World Street Nationals coming this weekend at Orlando Speed World, the NHRA-sanctioned drag strip just outside of the great city of Orlando, Florida. That's an event that has been going on um, in earnest for many years. It's the 27th running of the World Street Nationals. And for those of you that um, have followed drag racing for a long time and not just the NHRA stuff, you know that the World Street Nationals really does have an important place in the history of the sport, especially in the modern history of drag racing in terms of the amount of stars it helped to build back in the day. Um, Some of the great door slammer racers of all time came through there as they were making their formative years, and it has been a place that continues to provide great action And I'm excited. It'll be the first time I get to announce that race, um, a race that I have followed since I was just a kid getting drag racing magazines at my house and every year following along to find out who won the World Street Nationals in Orlando. One of the great traditions of that race back in the day was that there was a restaurant chain called Race Rock, and it was like a hard rock cafe, but it was all race car stuff, and there happened to be one of them on International Drive in Orlando. And as part of their promotion for the race, many of the race cars would actually, uh, they would be a big car show there. And then they would drive the race cars down International Drive in Orlando. And it was, uh, you know, now that we have events like Drag Week and some other stuff like that, it seems kind of quaint. But um, during that time period in the 90s, like there was nothing like that happening anywhere else. This was hardcore. These were the coolest cars in the country. And some of them. You know, maintain this type of uh, ragged edge street ability uh, or not. They were just able to be driven short distances at low speeds but the photos you can still find of the, the people crowding the streets and these killer cars driving out of the parking lot, it really was something that uh, captured my imagination as a kid and, and it is a race that continues on with a great legacy and I'm glad to be going down and working for Ozzy Moya who is the track operator in Orlando to call that event. That'll be coming this weekend. So if you're in the Florida area and you can get out, make sure you bring your facial covering and maintain your social distance, but we will be having uh, some great competition this weekend at Orlando Speed World. Around the sport, there are still bracket races to be run, Some, some uh, many tracks still having testing and other sorts of events before they lock them down for the year, and it has been an incredible year in drag racing for you know so many different reasons i look at groups like the southeast gassers association they continue to um run several events i think they're almost done with their season but southeast gassers a very tight-knit group of period correct gassers run by quain stott who was uh, one of the great pro mod racers of all time he has really put his time and energy in the sega organization as he calls it southeast gassers association and the fun of it is uh, that they run basically off of a late 1960s rule book. The cars are limited to the eighth mile. Um, they have to run period style parts where it is applicable. They do have to maintain, you know, modern safety standards in terms of many other uh, things, but in terms of what you're able to do with cylinder heads and how you build the engine and your ignition system and uh, even what the wheelie bars look like, all of that stuff is really dictated by the, um, the look of a 19th late 60s gasser as well as the rule book that govern those categories and i would recommend if you get a chance over the course of 2021 stay uh, on top of uh, their schedule with uh you know social media or whatnot but if you get a chance to go and hang out with those guys and just watch a race uh, it really is cool everything's got a four speed in it huge rpm small block engines tunnel rams it is um it's a great thing, and I'm sure over the course of this offseason, I'll catch up with uh, catch up with Quain and get you all more familiarized with the Southeast Gassers Association, just because I really like what they're doing. Uh, Quain runs a series, and he does so with a, a pretty tight fist, um, because he is very concerned in maintaining the historical integrity of the cars that are racing, and... For him, that's really what he's trying to do. He's he's not trying to make a nostalgia drag racing series as much as he is trying to give a very accurate depiction of what these cars did look like, smelled like, sounded like about 50 years ago. And to the best of my estimation, he's doing it. Um, I hosted a show on Motor Trend called Put Up or Shut Up for a couple of seasons, and we actually made an episode uh, where the guy named Gabriel Burrell, who's one of the great stars of that series, raced Quain. Best two out of three, and it was uh, one of the most fun episodes we ever made, certainly uh, one of the most uh, viewed episodes we ever made, and it's because those cars are just so cool and accurate. But outside of that tangent, what I my main point here is just saying that, yes, NHRA has finished their season successfully, Lucas Oil Drag Racing season finished successfully, E3 Sparkplugs Pro Mod season, we can go right down the list, all finished successfully with Champions Crowned. And that is happening in other associations and in other places as well. The Summit Racing Equipment ET Bracket Championships were held in Las Vegas as part of the Dodge NHRA Finals. That was run to completion. A great event there, bringing in some of the best bracket racing competition from around the country. Bringing in many racers who had never competed on the national event level before to race against each other, representing their own divisions. It's always one of the most fun parts of every year. Obviously, it normally gets run at Pomona. We did not race at Pomona this year. And as the schedule is laid out for next year, Pomona is looking to be hopefully the third race. And we get there somewhere in that kind of April time frame. We're going to be talking a lot about the NHRA schedule in the next couple of weeks. Not just here, but on NHRA.com and over the course of uh, the social media channels. I think you can look forward to some live programming regarding that. I think we're going to go over a lot of what classes are where, kind of what the schedule looks like, some of the other things that we have going on. So if you have questions about the 2021 NHRA Camping World schedule, uh, make sure you tune in. We're going to talk about uh, event lengths, qualifying sessions, what's where, who's where, all that kind of stuff. And we know that's the type of thing that is front of mind for many NHRA fans right now who are hopefully – maybe looking to make some travel plans for 2021. I think we're going to see a lot of fans um, that have felt pent up that want to come out and check out some races, maybe an additional race or two than they normally have, or maybe different races than they have in the past, having been stuck largely at home over the course of 2020. It's an exciting time. As, As crazy a time as it is, it really honestly is an exciting time as to what's going on in NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. Yes, there is a lot of uncertainty out there, but I think if we look at any time in, not just drag racing, but any time in any sort of historical context that so we have uncertainty, there are people that are able to take that uncertainty and turn it into success. And Drag racers being who they are, the driven, motivated, unstoppable, wildly adaptable creatures that drag racers are, um, this is a A strangely opportunistic environment for drag racers to try to capitalize on. And I know it sounds like it's the most reverse backwards thinking of all time, but having spoken to some folks on the business side of this sport that are hustling deals and that are having success making inroads and contacts with companies that maybe they hadn't before, um, I don't think I'm out of whack in saying it. Hoping to have some very positive news to report to you over the next couple of weeks from some of the teams that are verging on new deals for 2021. So stay posted and I will keep you posted on that. Our two guests today are going to be Ryan Ayler and Ron Caps and Ryan Ayler is going to be hitting lead off with Caps being the second guest. And I'm kind of calling these guys outside factors. They were, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, outside factors in deciding champions in 2021. And I'm not saying that to diminish the seasons they had because both guys had successful seasons. Ryan Ayler, multiple final rounds, gets his first ever national event victory in the NHRA and Pro Stock Motorcycle. Ron Caps wins multiple races, has uh, wild memories from places like Gainesville. And, you know, two guys that I really want to talk to in maybe different ways about the 2020 season. For Ayler, it was success maybe among the chaos that was this year. And I want to understand what he is looking to improve on, both uh, with maybe himself and with his program for 2021. For Ron Caps, I really want to get his perspective when he's able to kind of survey what 2020 looked like from a veteran's eyes. Not from a Ryan Ayler's eyes, who is a veteran in drag racing, but not so much with NHRA. I want to talk to Ron Capps about just the things that's, that struck out or stuck out to him as being so different about this particular campaign and, and kind of what uh, what he takes away from this year and what he would bring in with himself and with his team for 2021. Capps is in a good position for 2021. He has funding from NAPA. He knows that. The deal has been signed. The extension has been granted. This is not something that a terribly high number of people can say. And just like I mentioned a few minutes ago, that uncertainty and that need or want to find certainty is often what can drive drag racers and drag racing to have some pretty interesting and advanced results. So all of that will be talked about during these two conversations. And I'm going to kick things off with a man out of Illinois who won his first Wally at Indy, not at the U.S. Nationals, but previous to the U.S. Nationals when we kicked the season back off again and immediately went out to a pizza place and stuffed his face full of pizza. Ryan Ayler, how you doing, man? Great. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. And, uh, you know, I wanted to catch up with you today because obviously we've officially entered the offseason, you know, portion of the program here, which uh, seems odd to say because it's not even really that deep into November yet. But, uh, man, you had a heck of a year. And one of the reasons I definitely wanted to talk to you is about kind of the evolution of your program this year, both for you kind of mentally and mechanically. So let's start on your headspace, man. You leave 2020 thinking what about the season?
1: I am, um, I'm thrilled with our performance, but at the same time, I look at the peaks and the valleys. You know, when you finish seventh at the end of the year, our, our goal was to finish in the top five, and you look back and think, what could we have done different? And um, I, I kind of see some similarities from 19 to, to 20. Basically, you start the season off really strong. You have great performance. And, of course, as a racer and a tuner and a builder, you, you go oh, if I do this or if I do that, you know, we would do so much better. If we we start advancing this program, we're, we're going to do better. We're going to go quicker. We're going to go faster. And then you catch yourself in the middle of the season going, you know, man, I went the wrong way or what, what, what did I do wrong? And then you kind of go back to your roots from the beginning of the year and uh, you start to come on strong again. And uh, that kind of showed pretty evident. You know, we started off with a win and then uh, we had – I think we went four first round losses in a row. And then we started to come back and show that, you know, we were qualifying better and we went to the finals in Houston and, you know, the the wheels were turned in the right direction again. And 19 was similar. You know, we almost went 200 in Gainesville. Yes. Uh, We qualified like fifth and then we were strong and then we missed, we lost something and you're starting to see some similarities and some patterns that we're going to have to learn from moving forward so that we can, uh, we can get rid of those valleys and, and concentrate on having performance that falls somewhere in the middle so that when you get the peaks, they can really impact your point standing, you know?
0: Yeah. And I would guess, you know, the, the longer you're out and competing at the level you're competing at, you're also learning from maybe not so much watching them in the pit area, but watching the trends of your opponents, right?
1: Sure. Sure. You know, there's definitely an endless amount of data that you can absorb. And if you, uh, Try to do too much too fast. You're just going to spin your wheels, you know, literally and figuratively. So uh, we've caught ourselves doing that. Now it's time to try to really put together the plan for 2021 and no better time than now, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and beyond the kind of overarching plan of how you attack the over, the overriding season, what are some of the things that you take away as being successful for your 2020 campaign, mechanically specifically? Well,
1: you know, definitely we've been working on what we got to have in the shop so that we can turn around uh, a quick program. You know, gotcha. we have six engines, but not all those are at the competitive level. Uh, we really were working with probably three engines all year that were our top competitive engines. But what was really good is that, you know, we started to stockpile everything that we needed uh, to, to rebuild an engine pretty quick. Nice. So, pre-fit cylinders, our pistons, on our rings, uh, our cranks, everything that we kind of got to have in case you have an accident like we did in St. Louis. We blew up two engines in three passes in St. Louis. (laughs) And, you know, I came back from that, and we were like, you know, me and my dad go back and forth because we want to analyze what happened. Well, basically, we started to try things that would – you know, help the program down the road, but you can't really afford to try things in the middle of the season. and we caught ourselves in a situation where we tightened up a couple of tolerances. Yes, we made more horsepower on the dyno. Uh, the engine should have performed really well. and um, they they did, but uh, they also ate themselves. You know, one yeah. of them was, my fault. Uh, I'll take the blame. I double clutched in St. Louis on e one. And when I double-clutched, that motor was just way too sensitive to send the RPM up to the limiter like that. Okay. And uh, it clipped the valves, and it ate the top end. Um, so then we were pretty frustrated with that, knowing that we are about to go to, to Dallas just a, few day, you know, a week and a half later. Um, so we stayed and tested in St. Louis. Um, we had good, good air, good weather, but we still went um, 680 and 681 our first passes and testing and the six, 680 it blew the engine at 660 i had negative one g okay oh god, oh god. So i slid across the finish line with the back wheel locked up and still went a 680 flat you know um, yeah now you you could walk away really discouraged with that i mean that one it ate it really bad it knocked the rods out of the front of the case um we still fixed it all and that's the engine we ran in dallas wow um it was, uh, my dad called it a magic trick, you know, as he, as he was getting mad with I me, mean, this, this isn't nothing that, you know, what he's called superhuman stuff. You know, you, this is, this is magic. No one can do this stuff. Most people set the rods out of the front of the cases. They, they take a new set of cases off the shelf. Well, we didn't have a new set of cases, but we got a TIG welder and we got a full machine shop. So we were able to repair them, you know, and technically we put it all back into service better than it probably ever had been. Wow. But we, uh. So we knew we had performance, which was, I guess at that point you go, hey, that would have happened in Dallas. Sure. It was going to happen. The road. Yeah, it was going to so happen. I, I would have much rather it happened at St. Louis like it did. Um, mm. So then we find out in St. Louis, uh, or not St. Louis, in Dallas, that my oil pressure sensor's off 12 pounds. So holy did, it, did, it, did the blow-up happen because we had too tight of tolerances or did it happen – with a collaboration of, hey, you increased the tolerances, but your oil pressure sending unit was off 12 pounds. And would that have then happened? Ah, uh, you know, you start get, you start juggling around the what happened, chicken or egg type of thing. And uh, um, the bottom line was we, uh, we went back to our roots and have decided that that's it. Anything that we're going to try and test is going to have to happen. One, during a test session. Two, it's got to happen on the engine dyno. But... In the middle of a season with a compact schedule like we had, there's really just not a lot of time for all that. So, you know, you you wanna you wanna put your best foot forward. You don't really wanna play it safe all the time, but sometimes that'll hurt your your overall point score, you know?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And you know, one of the things I think about a lot too is as much as we talk about how, you know, a racer attacks the season, how much they're changing their tune up, what what decisions they're making there, I would assume that the more time you spend running the pro stock motorcycle, your off season routine changes or your off season, not necessarily what you're doing, but maybe the order you're doing it in. Can you talk to that a little bit? Like the difference coming into a 2020 off season versus maybe your first season of pro stock motorcycle racing. Do you have a much better picture of what you're trying to accomplish as opposed to that first year?
1: Yeah. When you're testing initially, when you get rolling, you're trying to just get seat time. You, you know, you want to, you want to get comfortable on the bike and uh, I remember getting started. Uh, other pro racers knew my background, said, no, you'll be fine. You just need 15, 20 passes on the bike, and you're going to be fine. It was more like 150 passes, you know. <laughs> uh, when you're going to line up next to to Matt Smith or Andrew Hines, and you're going to go handlebar to handlebar, you know those guys have an edge. They They sit on their bike more than they sit on their recliner in their living room, yeah. you know. So... It took me a while to get to that point, and then I, you know, oddly enough, I started to think back, because it wasn't that long ago, 2016, when I was at the peak of my game on my ProMod Harley, you know, I'm sitting on that bike with not a worry in the world, you know, but I am super confident, and it really, this year, I was really feeling confident, and then I started to kind of adapt my riding style a little bit. Um, you know the two riding styles you see out in pro stock bike you see the ram effect you see Hector Rana Jr. Uh, Matt Smith sit way up you know their are back straight and you see Angel and the Harleys and um, uh, some of the Suzuki riders laying flat all the way down on the bike you know and um, those are the two main different styles so I started to adapt my style away from what I'm used to and and I can start watching videos of when I raced the Pro Stock bike in 2017. I went, man, I actually rode the bike better in 17 than I am now. You know, uh, when you lay flat, you're just dead weight. When you can sit up and do the ram effect, you actually can uh, improve the performance of the bike if you do it with quality. So sitting there at the track, I've got my... Little pit display with you know clips that we put together of racing and, and promo videos for our sponsors. I said, man, I need to get back to where I was comfortable. Yeah. So I went back to where I was comfortable and I started actually sitting on the bike, feeling like you're supposed to feel after 350 passes or something. You know, I'm, I'm really. I'd come up to the line and go, you know, I'm gonna just go ride my bike. I'm gonna cut the best light I can, and uh, I think it started to show. You know, and I really, uh, I'm really probably most happy with, uh, one, the comfortability 2 I've really got the competitiveness of, I'm going to beat the person in the other lane, no matter who they are. And, uh, we've got our 60 foot average way, way better than we've been in the last couple of years. Oh, so great. a lot of things are coming together.
0: How much validation came with making that late-season final round? I mean, obviously winning early in the season was incredible, but it's the old uh, anybody-can-do-it-once type of thing in terms of making it that far down the road. So talk to me a little bit about making that particular final round in Texas and how that kind of stacked up against uh, against the first one earlier in the year. Well, it, it's
1: you know pretty obvious. Be, most of our teams do a lot of testing at sea level. You know, we'll test in the winter. We're in Florida. You know, you're at sea yeah. level. Um, we did well at, at Indy that's in the Midwest in our backyard. But when we went to Houston, we know going into Houston, hey, this is a C-level race. And a lot of our uh, our testing and our data should fall back on that. And with two rounds of qualifying, it's made this uh, very interesting as far as wherever one gets positioned in, in qualifying because you've got to hit the ground running with, you know, the best thing you got right off the trailer. So, That was obvious. We went uh, number one qualifier the first pass. Uh, 680 set the track record. Everybody was, you know, pretty happy. But I knew that uh, after looking at the data that Matt or Scotty or Angie or Andrew or Eddie, one of them was going to throw it. And, boy, did Matt really throw down a pass. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he did. So we were still happy, though, because we ran, uh, just like we did in Indy 1, very consistent. We went 80, 85, 85, 85, and the last pass would have been an 85 based on the 1,000 foot and less increments. But uh, I went ahead and pulled in the clutch because I knew Eddie got me and we were getting close to the wall. So uh, I, was, I think we were all real happy to see, um, one, I came out as a racer. And when you're behind uh, three 400s to five-time champions, you're going to have to cut a light. We cut the 007 and put uh, Andrew on the trailer. That really got our confidence up. Um, And then we just, like I said, we ran the same number all weekend. Eddie did the exact same thing. Eddie ran an 80 almost every pass. And um, that was... um, it just showed that he was you know he was really fired up and we were right there with him but we just had to you know we had to get a little bit more performance underneath us and you know we're so used to bringing our engines back to the shop and dismantling everything and going through the engine piece by piece and when you're back to
0: back to back um, you're not able to really do that. Yeah, that doesn't happen. We often talk about the mentality of someone who is locked into a points chase at the end of the year versus the other competitors who are racing for maybe a, a personal best position or simply racing to get race wins. That's what you're here to do is win races. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that because I'm always under. I'm always wondering if, if the discussions we have about that with our audience actually match up to reality. I mean, when you come into an event like that, are you – you're looking to do the best you can do, but are you also looking to go, okay, like if I can, if I can really make somebody's Sunday more complicated, I'm going to try to do it.
1: I don't even really think of it that way. I just want to do the best I can for, for our team and uh, our sponsors. I I want to win, you know? Yeah. So um, I knew that, I mean, of course, mathematically we were a uh, contender for the championship all the way down to the last race. Yes, you were. Yeah. That was really good for our team. And then you start to look back and go, man, if I wanted to cut a 148 at light against Chris Bostic in round two uh, of Indy 2, we'd have been a little bit closer to um, an actual contender for championship. If, you know, if I could have, should have, would have, all that stuff starts to come into play. And then you just got to go, you know what? It is what it is. 2021's coming up. Give it the best you got and let's, let's leave the season on a high note. Well, you know, uh, as far as being an upsetter and all that, um, you know, um, I I think that everyone just has to line up and race the other person in the other lane and try to put on the wind light no matter what you're doing, you know. So the teams that got three bikes and, and stuff like that, they've got a little bit different strategy that they can put together. Um, your single bike team uh, just wants to turn the wind light on.
0: Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, you're not out there trying to hunt for a ladder position or trying to hunt somebody down. You're out there just trying to run as hard and as fast as you can uh, on every particular run. One of the things we did not see in 2020 because of the circumstances of the year was we did see an on Chris bike, but we didn't see it as much as we would have elsewhere, the four-valve cylinder head for the Suzuki's. Um, obviously, as somebody that is involved in engine development and, and hardcore engine work, as you and your father are, uh, on the V Twin side of things, what are your thoughts on that four valve? Do you think we'll see more of them in 2021? Kind of, what, where's your head at there? We were
1: just talking about it last night, to be honest with you. You know, and uh, I think that probably threw a wrench into the works for the Suzuki's performance for 2020 because um, a lot of the teams use the time that they have on race day to tap. You know, yeah, um, and we got. 16 races um, And you got four rounds of qualifying on those 16 races. You got a lot more time to Start to put together your formula for uh, performance It's probably no question that the four-valve is gonna be a better-performing setup Um, However, no one's really had enough time to really maybe figure out what they got to have You know, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that come into play for those engines to have performance and with only having eight races, however many test sessions they actually got out of, you know, the season, uh, I just don't think they got enough time yet to come up with their formula for for performance. I expect to see it. I mean, we saw the two valve running at the top of the field yes. uh, at the end of 19 almost every weekend, you know, between Steve and Jerry battling back and forth, um, you know, so – you know, as long as those guys are still fired up and amped up to go out and and hit the ground testing and and, and get something out of their program, they're gonna be they're gonna be a super threat. Um, as we know, there's some some new Suzuki's being built that are gonna come out to go into a camp. Um, you know, it's been said Joey and Corey are gonna be racing yeah. in Suzuki's next year. Well, that should be very interesting. You know, because they've got a a good. Obviously, those two guys are heck of riders. You know, yes. Joey and Corey are. Great riders, great competitors. Um, they've moved around and had a lot of personnel changes. I think all that you know, has hindered them a little bit. Uh, then they come back out with their Buells that had been sitting all, all summer and <laughs> really turned it up. Yeah, so, they
0: did. They did. They put on a heck of a show. They kind of came out of nowhere, especially Gladstone. You're looking around going, what, what, what's going on here in Dallas? It was wild.
1: So I, I expect to see the Suzuki's uh, make their way back to uh you know some more final appearances i mean jerry did well as a as a racer and a yeah. rider but it was obvious that they were underpowered you know they were they were, in the, they were in the race with a probably the lowest average mile an hour of any bike uh in the field at yes. that point it you actually know?
0: that is a that is a, a statistical fact you're stating because yeah we actually looked at that and you're 100 correct and, uh, you know, so there, there's no question that there's going to be some, some performance gain. I, I mean, there has to be.
1: The, the bike's not fully utilized yet. I just don't think they've had enough time.
0: One last question before I let you go. Uh, With the capabilities that you guys now have, with the chassis dyno, with the engine dyno, uh, certainly kind of continuing to evolve your program, do you, looking down the road, see yourself as uh, a team that will be able to export some horsepower, to be able to provide horsepower to other people that want it? Is that maybe a stretch goal for you guys? And I know that you're working as hard as you can for the size of operation you have now, but talk to me a little bit about using these capabilities you now have uh, for maximum benefit.
1: You know, we've, it, we've had two bikes all year. We haven't even had time to really start to tap the second bike. Um, ju- I was literally home from Vegas uh, Tuesday night. I got back to work all day Wednesday and Thursday. Um, by Friday night, I had a brand-new EBR body already mocked up on the second bike. I now have it fully mocked up and almost complete. I've already been on the dyno last night till 10 o'clock. I'm on the dyno again today. Um, we're testing uh, and going to the race at Man Cup's uh, World Finals here in a week and a half.
0: Oh, nice. Okay.
1: We're, we're going to test Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're going to race in the event Saturday and Sunday. We're going to run both bikes. Um, we're going to have six engines that are set on kill coming up this spring, and we will have two bikes um, on the entry list. So, wow. This to awesome. answer your question, I am, I am not letting any dust settle and I'm uh, not catching up on any sleep. You know, you got to ride the wave. If you take any time off and you take a break, I swear you take that time and multiply it by, by 10, and that's how much time you just lost because momentum is so important in our game. And I really see that uh, we have something to offer. Um, the question really comes is, is when does it help you and when does it hurt you? You bet. You know, um, when you see someone like Matt Smith with four motorcycles, um, I would think Matt Smith by himself focusing on one bike would be an extreme threat to the class. And I see four bikes with the size of their team being a uh, part of their business plan and um, probably not... Helping their overall performance, so I kind of catch myself in that same same boat. I want to make sure whatever I'm doing is going to make my performance the the best it can. So committing to somebody on a on a 16 race schedule starting out may not be the answer, but putting someone on a bike that I can get good data from that uh, I'm able to possibly you know control whether or not they're at the next race or at the testing or or however it may be, as long as you're in control of it and you look at it and go, you know what? We just blew up this engine. We just blew up that engine. I really don't have an engine to put in that bike next weekend. I'm sorry. Yeah. you know, And that's kind of the boat I I see for us in 2021, realistically. Um, We're going to stockpile some parts, but everybody knows it's already mid-November that parts orders need to go in production's been low and all of our suppliers because of COVID and how factories all had to ramp
0: things down. Yeah. Um, so actually getting them ramped up again is a problem now where people are already understaffed to begin with. And now the orders start flowing in. So the back, the backlog is going to be bad for a lot of these places. Yeah. And that's when you really hope
1: you can pull your, your card and say, Hey,
0: remember when I called you and I wasn't a dick about whatever
1: that <laughs> word you messed up. How much you move my order up to the front, you know, do, do me a favor, you know? Yeah. And, and you try to save those back for when you need them. And, and uh, I think I've got a few of those in my piggy bank, but we'll just have to see. But, no, we're, we're really excited. Uh, we're going to really approach this offseason similar to how we approached one of our first off seasons. We're going to test a lot. And we're going to test uh, to where we're, we're going to get the most out of our equipment. So there's really no point of, of going uh, 13, 20 every hit. Um, if you can go eighth mile, and it's been really obvious looking at Matt's incrementals and then looking at my incrementals. If you're going to go 200 and you're going to go 670 something, you're going to start with a 105 and then you're going to go a 285 or left and then you're going to go a 435 or less. And if you can put those three incrementals in a row, the, the math comes out for the Buell V twins uh, on the other end of being very successful.
0: That's cool man. I uh love love catching up with you all the time. I love the fact that uh, your program is a kind of a constant evolution and it was awesome to see you really come into your own this year and uh become a become a legitimate threat out there. Not that you haven't been a legitimate threat, but this year multiple final rounds, the win and everything. So, congratulations on a great season man and um it sounds like I'm actually tired speaking to you about what your off season looks like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, we're we're really looking forward to it. We just got to get out and pound it. I think my team's fired up. We've got several people that have come on board with us to help things out. I think we're we're going to consider bringing a driver onto the team for 2021 so that um, cuz we all we work our own businesses on the team. Everybody is is employed. I don't have uh, anybody other than Bad Brad that's 100% employed just just to the racing department. Yeah. And uh, and he even goes out and fixes a furnace every once right. in a while, you know. <laughs> So, you know, I think trying to help our team so that uh, we can keep everybody together and um, take away the burden of travel at some point, I yeah. uh, would help everybody out. But you're right, you know, there's there's no rest for the wicked. And if you're going to do better in 2021, you better go out and, and hit the ground running hard.
0: Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Aylor. Ryan, thanks for taking the time, man, and uh, get back to getting on the dyno and running your company. All right. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. You bet always great to catch up with Ryan Ayler and again I love the guy's spirit love the fact that he is a very hardcore competitor and that he is uh he is going to barge his way to the top, it seems, no matter what's in his way. And that's a great thing to listen to and to hear him effectively saying his own words. Love his analytical outlook on the on the class as well, looking across at some of the other teams and what they're doing and how he can adapt or uh, perhaps avoid some of the pitfalls that they have fallen into. All right, so we talked to Ryan Ayler. Now we switch gears to the Nitro Funny Car category. We catch up with the man himself, Mr. Spin and Win in Gainesville, Ron Capps. How you doing, Ron?
2: <laughs> uh, I like that introduction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, um, I want, I wanted to catch up with you because I'm trying to catch up with kind of everybody that's had an impact on the 2020 season over the next couple of weeks, and um, I'm not sure if there's ever been, at least in modern times, just a hairier, wilder year in Funny Car that we had this year, despite everything.
2: Yeah, God, it's. Uh, I just talked to Phil Burgess at NHRA yesterday, and we're it's, it was nuts. First of all, to look back and see that we swept the season was something until they asked us to stick around after the race and take the picture. It didn't even dawn on me. You know, of course, having force not out there was huge. Not having Robert, that was huge. Um, But that accomplishment's pretty cool considering what the competition was this year. And uh, just to, to know that what went down with Funny Cars especially, but just the drama, having a regular season, not a countdown, and and having to come down to Vegas like it did, and really have four of us going into the race that had a mathematical chance, but really the three of them that were so tight together, it was it was fun.
0: Yeah, I guess talk to me about what your head was coming into Vegas. Obviously, on paper you were still there. We you you just mentioned it, but you were the you were definitely the dark horse candidate. Um, so when you guys approached the the race day, or even just the weekend in Vegas, was it was it the normal kind of. I don't want to say loose attitude. Was it the same attitude you come in with, or was it like we're going to try to do something heroic here, and or just do the best you can and see where the chips fall?
2: Um, you know, I never really, you know, Tobler and I—we had a lot going on with with what was going on with Hop. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. a lot of extra stuff around surrounding the racing that really wasn't on the track, so we never really had that talk that we normally have about here's our here's our. Our plan of attack and but I you know I've worked with him since 2012 we've won a lot of races together and I, I know him and Dustin where their head was and it was just to come in and um be a little more aggressive than we had been and you know it seems like there's been times in the past where we kind of fell a little flat in the countdown at times and you can't do that even one one or two races and uh and so we didn't want that to happen, but sure enough we got into a little clutch disc issue like some teams have and just little things that, that probably end up costing us a championship in a few of these races near the end of the season. And so it was just to go into Vegas and figure out this clutch pack that affected us, first of all, which we did. Yes. and make an adjustment for it, which he did, and and get more aggressive. And he finally did on Q two and the thing hauled the mail and went down there and went ended up low E. T. So um, yeah, that was kind of the mindset going in. We really didn't think we had a shot, even though mathematically we were right. we were we were there. But we wanted to ruin, even though they're our teammates. We yeah. wanted to ruin anybody's day we lined up with, and I don't care if it was Hagen, or it was Beckman, or or. And we ended up being a factor in all really all three of those uh, you know teams.
0: Oh yes, you did in, in one respect or another. <laughs> yes, you but did. Yeah, and,
2: and it's unfortunate, but I mean, gosh, you got to you got to do it. It's like Ryan line up against Robert Height for me uh, anytime yeah. I line up against a teammate. So that's, that's kind of the mindset we have. Yeah,
0: and that's, you know, that's a conversation Tony and I have in the booth a lot on air, really, when we talk about the DSR teams where um, you're talking about individual sponsors, you're talking about different organizations, you're talking about different commitments to different people. So it really does remove... You know, when it's not everybody has the same uh, sponsor backing them, it removes all doubt as to what's going to happen out here. The cars are going to run heads up, and you know what we see with the Capco family really does translate to what we see with the DSR cars, and the fact that when these things pull to the starting line, nobody's taking a swan dive. You know what I mean? And that that's what makes it really genuinely cool competition for not only us but also the fans. Yeah,
2: I mean we've seen, gosh, and. A sponsor very close to me. We've seen it happen in other racing series. Well they will yank a sponsorship for oh, shenanigans yeah. like that. So yeah. we stay clear of it and um, that's one good thing about having a separate sponsor and, and all that and and um, to be honest with you, Tobler gets off more on beating a Dickie Venables or a John Collins than he does a lot of times racing Jimmy Proc. And it's, there's a little more bragging rights because you do know those guys. He does hang out with them and it's a little more uh, when they're sitting around having a glass of wine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Believe me, it 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 seems like a bigger deal. So I've I seen that look in his eyes when he points at me in the windshield. I know when he's a little more, uh, you know, a little more aggressive in beating whoever's next to us. And, you know, we thank God we didn't have the scenario where a fan could say, oh, man, you really helped out your teammate there. Yeah. Because it was, it, you know, we couldn't. Not help anybody or help anybody. I mean, all three are teammates, but we're also close. If you if you helped one, then you'd have another one pissed off on at you. and Yeah, you know the yeah. kid growing up. I remember watching Connie Colletta line up next to Scott and just shut his car off <laughs> <laughs> before the run. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember I think Topeka one year, and it's like, yeah. well, hey, he owns the team; he can do what he wants. You know, nobody even batted
0: an eye. So um, it was the old joke yeah, with Curt and Warren Johnson two years ago when uh, you know Curt uh, helped his dad out and came up the return row with that sign. And says I still have a job. You know, I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah, <you know>. exactly,
2: <laughs> right? The, it's uh, the fans know they're they're much smarter than that, and that's why yeah. you can't insult their intelligence.
0: No, that's an absolute fact. You know, one of the one of the things I wanted to talk about as well is the fact that. Um, the experience that your team has we talk about it so often and then we actually got to see it put into work twice this year um, especially when it came to that Gainesville race and I guess when you look back over the 2020 season I got to imagine that's a weekend that stands out you know I have to imagine that when you look back on 2020 that particular stretch of a couple of hours is probably one that you're not going to soon forget
2: no for sure you know gosh the uh it sure looked like I knew what I was doing more than I was doing when I spun the car at the end. I, I knew I was in oil, so I've had fans say, oh, it was great that you did. I really, listen, I've driven a lot of dirt cars and a lot of other things, so yeah, I did have a feel for the car, but I knew I was in trouble when I went to pull the brake and there was no oil. I mean, excuse me, no brakes because I knew I was in oil bad. And I didn't want to hit the wall on top of blowing it up because I knew we were going into the final. Yep. So uh, with that being said, it was fun to watch the team already have that car out and have the fans you know, surrounding the trailer when we got back on the golf cart from doing my interview with, with uh, Amanda down there. So that was fun. To step to sit in a car I haven't sat in over a year that's really never made a full run like that and to, to have Tober say, hey, if anything feels weird, shut it off because we just don't, you know, you don't know. And then step on the gas and have the thing ripping my neck off um, and not see Wilkerson was and it just, uh, you talk about 75 minutes of a roller coaster of emotions um was pretty cool and I know the fans some of them don't quite understand the rule and some don't like that rule uh and it's really a safety thing you know Absolutely. because we've seen we, I, we've dragged cars out that I should have never gone up to the starting line when I was earlier in my career but you know what? We're racers, and as you well know, we're going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. I've had no breaks or hardly any breaks, and told them get out of my way. I'm making this run, <laughs> like you know what I mean. So it's a safety thing, and it's good that uh, that we have the funding and we got the team that can put it together. But yeah, that was that drama was so much fun, and then to almost do it again, you know, in Texas there that was crazy. To or no, oh, yeah. St. Louis, I guess. St.
0: Louis, yeah, they're all
2: mixed together. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. So, but that Gainesville win was. Uh, extraordinary especially knowing uh you know knowing we had a chance to uh, win such a historic race like the the gator nationals
0: yeah and you know as a little just that that moment you know when everything goes right at the finish line and you get the car stopped and uh, as you said you know it wasn't exactly like according to script oh you did spin it out right in front of the fox uh any fox sign which was killer for us uh but (laughs) the, the whole thing it was like this is what this is what makes kids want to drive funny cars. Like, when they see stuff like that, you know, I, I look at that moment. It's like, this is what is badass about all of this stuff, where it's like everything has gone sideways for this guy in a nanosecond at 300 miles an hour, and yet he gets the thing stopped, doesn't hit anything. and he, You know, intentional or not, there's a little dramatic flair at the end. And if I'm like a, whatever, 10-, 12-year-old kid at home watching this on TV, you look at the screen, you go, I want to be that guy. I mean, that was awesome. <laughs>
2: Well, for me growing up, it was the Raymond Beetle moment when he got out and stood on his car, you yeah. know. Yeah, uh, also a That made me want to be a funny car driver. <laughs> yeah, but in all honesty, Brian, it was a safety safari because let me tell you, when you're on fire and, and the fire in that explosion was hot, and, and it didn't burn a long time, but it burned where it was still, I, I didn't know if I was still on fire, but my hands and my feet were definitely, uh, had taken some heat. So my in my mind, it blew the dash up. I couldn't see the front of where I was going, but I saw the safety safari. And let me tell you about those guys. They are the most comforting thing to see when you have any issue like that. And that's to, honestly, that is the real reason I spun it out right there. I wanted to be as close to those guys. Because uh, in that moment, fire is very motivating.
0: <laughs> it oh, will it'll make you
2: do things. You, uh, you know, we burned the snake body in Indy before we won the U.S. National or the uh, Big Bud Shootout years ago. And I actually got out of the car while it was still rolling about 70 miles an hour and, and thought I could jump out and run alongside of it because I was on fire. So fire makes you do things you don't uh, sometimes think about.
0: Yeah, that's insane. Uh, it's, it's, I'm glad it's somebody that you can tell me about it because I'll never, never experience it myself. So I'm going to try to have you explain hey, You can come over
2: me. and put my fire suit on, and we can play around
0: and just give you an idea what Listen, it's like. You, you, know, you know as well as I do, I would not get a leg inside that fire suit. Yeah, I, I, I would look like the, the Pillsbury Doughboy even worse than I already do in that thing. Um, the Higgins, how's that? Okay, that would, yeah, that would, that would probably fit a little better. Um, it would be it would be very looser on the bicep area, but we'll try it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One of the things I think is great about this year, and it's kind of crossing the aisle a little bit into night into top fuel, but we see Tony Schumacher and Antron Brown win the last two races of the year. And this is not taking anything away from Steve Torrance. Those guys are incredible, but I really do feel like it's a good thing for the entire sport to have those two names winning races again.
2: Well, yeah, that was storybook. Um, you really got to look deeper than that and you got to see what Mike Green did yeah. I mean Mike Green um, you know he didn't know what chassis he was going to have he didn't know what car was going to be what where these were like borrowed cars um, you know from other parts of our teams so for him to, to Mike Green to go up there and not back into it man he went up and, and hauled,
0: yeah. they hauled ass. the mail yeah absolutely Before Yeah, now. big time
2: yeah. and not just in the final but he ran good really good so when you do that, you either up your opponent's pressure or you cause them to make a little bit of a mistake trying to get outside their box. So you're not going to do that to Torrance and and those guys. So it was going to be a mono, mono, get it on. Let's see who can go the quickest and which it was. And, and that was fun to see Tony get up for that because he's been one of the best in history of those moments and not being able to fold into those moments. So, that was a big weekend, but I, I really was proud of what Mike Green and that team did. That was that was fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it was great. And then, uh, you know, Antron follows it up with his victory, which was a long time coming. And I had him on the show last week, and he was great, as he always is, just kind of talking about getting through the lean times and everything else. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because of the fact that you're a veteran and that because of the fact you've experienced so many kind of harrowing moments over the course of your funny car driving career, because that's what happens when you drive funny cars. Um, I'm not sure Leah Pruitt got as enough credit and we gave her a lot of credit, but I'm not sure we gave her enough for climbing literally a week later back into a top fuel car after what happened to her in St. Louis. And, you know, as a veteran competitor, I got to imagine, I got to imagine you've, you obviously have had respect for Leah of what she's been able to do in a top fuel car. But when you see somebody that, and even alexis that isn't at all slowed down by going through some of this stuff it has to kind of reinforce the fact to you and i'm hoping others that they are as hardcore into this as people suspect they are
2: yeah but she is uh let me tell you she's not only tough but i've known her a long time i remember her and her dad come to my, my pit area dom perdoms um when she was a teenager and bring in a little a little thing about her information on her and she wanted to be a race car driver and then i got to be a teammate of hers uh, at the March meet, driving for Steve Pluger, when I drove uh, the nostalgic funny car, uh, we set the world record ET, and she had record before that. She had the speed record, and so that I've known her a long time, and I know how tough she is. Um, but unfortunately, I've been through that, and the worst part about it was that she had to wait until that race. And had she won that round, and something happened at the finish line, trust me, you're so much better to get right back in something. Uh, rather than wait, especially something as gnarly as hers, so we didn't ever question her her strength and her you know Design. was she going to want to yeah. get back in the yeah. car. She was trying to crawl back in her factory car <laughs> right yeah. after that. So that's true. Um, yeah, she she's tough and she she knows how to get it done. So yeah, I I knew the feeling. I've been through those huge explosions and things we've gone through where you have you not only have to wait during the week for a back-to-back race even worse you've got to wait two weeks and watch it on the highlight reels and listen to you and Tony do little uh, little <laughs> right. things with footage of it going over and over those are the worst parts Seeing it again so yeah we um, I felt bad for her in that sense
0: oh it's got to be awful and you know we do these Nitro Time Machine things now and I did I happened to do one on Mark Oswald who had this massive explosion back in 1990 at. Uh, I saw it It yeah. was awesome and so it, you know you make these things you just figure they go out on the internet well I think it was – we're in Houston, and there was a moment of downtime or whatever, and Antron's car is sitting, is sitting on the starting line, and next thing you know, I hear my voice through the glass, and I look up, and so there's Oswald and his whole crew turned around looking at the Jumbotron, and, and there's this video that I put together of his huge explosion from 1990. I was hoping he didn't spin around and point up at the booth at me, but <laughs> it like I was like, are you killing me, guys? What are you doing to me here?
2: <laughs> yeah, he uh, – God, he, he was one of those guys I looked up to as a kid watching – even moments like that. He's still one of the coolest guys to be around and it blows me away that I can walk in the pit area and go talk talk to Mark Oswald at any given time. Um that's that's pretty neat.
0: Yeah, and it blows me away of how much attention he pays to other stuff too, because I'll run into him in the pits and it'll be like, Hey man, I saw so and so set the record on the radio and I'm like, wait a second, you pay attention to that too? You know, so it is um he's still very, very deep into the sport, despite the fact that he's obviously headfirst into the into the top fuel car. One of the things I definitely wanted to talk to you about is your typical never stop working with Napa all year long schedule has got to be looking a little bit different this off season because of COVID-19 and travel and everything else. So if you can give us a little window into maybe what you're going to be doing and maybe what you're going to be doing differently than you normally would have done in an off season working with Napa, what is that?
2: A lot of virtual. In fact, I'm hanging up here with you and I'm doing, I did, Three or four owner virtual owner meetings last week, from all of the country, and one in Hawaii, okay. um, which is usually an event that they may fly me into, and it might have four or five hundred people um, with different owners in a different region of the country. So, I've been doing a lot of those on Zoom and things like that, where I get on. I, and ironically, what's funny is all of them they have they have introduced me with video from Gainesville, as well as you know, coming back to win after the explosion and then the interview where I talked about the Napa know-how Ron Tobler has. um, It's funny how they introduced me to that same video. They love that. And then I get on and talk about adapting and and adapting to today's world for any business is a lot like us adapting to the racetrack change like you guys talk on the tower uh, or the TV about, you know, two or three degrees change in the track temp sends these crew chiefs running back to the car. So, that part's been fun, uh, but I have been doing some in-person stuff, and it's been a lot of, a lot of fun to have fans come out. And you know, you can't have too many. You got to social distance and do all the right things. But um, yeah, it's been it's been weird. I would go to Bob Bondurant or the Bondurant Driving School uh, this month and nice. do a little thing with Napa and a small group. So yeah, it is condensed, but you know, they're an essential company. So um, watching Chase Elliott win that championship the other day was was pretty cool yeah and, I, was gonna, I wanted
0: to ask you about that because he's obviously part of the Napa group so I'm sure uh, I'm sure you were uh, one of the first guys to be shooting him a text message of congratulations
2: yeah oh yeah and his old man is so cool uh, it's just been it's been a lot of fun this year Bill McAnally won with Gio Selzi, the last race of the season um, that's gonna be a lot of fun Gio being part of the Napa family with McAnally who, who builds superstars uh, starting to NASCAR left and right And then Brad Sweet, World Outlaws, won the championship right there in Charlotte um, this last Saturday night. So a lot of fun stuff that happened for us to represent Napa uh, away from the track, and I don't think you'll find a sponsor, honestly, that has the team that we have with Rossi and IndyCar. And just um, it's been so much fun to watch it be built. And even though 2020 was crazy for a fan to – you know to turn the TV on and see one of our Napa racers not only win but win a championship like that was you know it makes me really proud
0: yeah and not going totally in the tank but like if you're you know you listen to the show your car guy or something like i know my own life if if i need something the first time and i need it to be right and it's not some cookie cutter thing like i'm not wasting my time other than going anywhere but to a napa shop and when you go to the napa shop it's like these are hardcore car people you're talking to. They're not they're parts guys. Most of these guys, at least my local Napa, have worked there for about 275 years, it looks like. And uh, yeah. <laughs> half, of them, half of them will still go into a catalog to find you something as opposed to diving in the computer. But um, I think it really does define the company that they are so involved in motorsports. And it's not like a in-and-out type of fair-weather relationship. I think if you look at what, Napa, what Napa's relationship has been to racing in the last – 30 40 years it just hasn't let up which is a really cool thing obviously for you because of the relationship you have but if you're a actual racing fan you got to appreciate a company that's just in and is in for for the for the long haul
2: yeah and they still listen even through covid they still we had hospitality even though it was it was cut down but we had them wanting to pay to come out to support our race team and you know you got to remember these these napa is privately owned all the stores are privately owned for yeah. the most part so it's real people like you said it's people that are race fans and they're fans of uh you know car people so um that's that part's made it easy and you hear me brag all the time it's it's fun to represent them but it's uh, it's even funner to win with uh with them around
0: all right one more thing before i let you go it's a long way off yet we have uh you know winter to get through but are you going to be uh hopefully defending your title at the march meet next year
2: yeah, that's the plan, okay, and good. ironically, the, the our start to our season will be the Gator Nationals the following weekend, so um, we're already hoping everything gets, uh, you know, obviously with things getting better, it seems like, um, looking looking for our schedule to be expanded a little bit with NHRA, but for me, it, there's no Winter Nationals in Pomona, but I'm sure hoping we can kick the season off at the, uh, the March meet, and uh,
0: looking forward to that. Cool, man. Well, Ron, I always appreciate your uh, perspective on stuff. I'm looking forward to uh, harassing your crew chief a little bit later this winter as well, so uh, it's always great. Congratulations on a successful season, some wins, some dramatic moments, and certainly a guy who uh, who had an, an end effect on who was walking away with the championship this year in 2020, and best of luck to you in 21.
2: Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me,
0: Brian. All right, man. Be good. Uh, now get on your virtual owner's meetings. Leave me alone. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Thanks. All right, dude. So Ron Cap's looking back over 2020, given his perspective on several different aspects of the 2020 season, which will go down in history as one of the most unique in National Hot Rod Association Drag Racing lore. We'll be back next week with another episode of the NHRA Insider, continuing to talk to folks inside and outside of the NHRA, and as we get deeper into the offseason, deeper into the winter, we're going to vary up these topics and bring on folks like crew chiefs and promoters and maybe some of the movers and shakers from outside the world of NHRA drag racing, certainly some of our Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series stars as well. As always, thanks for listening, thanks for being fans of NHRA Camping World Championship Drag Racing and keep your ears and eyes glued to your computer screens to NHRA.com and all the social media pages involved with NHRA for any breaking news regarding schedules and all kinds of stuff that'll be happening this week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon.